for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we celebrated his birth last week. And today we know that he is risen and he is ascended on high and he is Lord of our lives and Lord of this church. King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are here because of you, for you, in order to celebrate the gift of the gospel. I pray that your spirit would be here, that you would speak, O oh God, that it would not be my voice, but it would be yours, and that you would prepare our hearts to receive exactly what you want us to receive this morning. In Jesus' holy name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I am ready to say adios, goodbye, peace out, no offense to 2019, and not step into, but to launch into 2020 with each and every one of you. Because I believe 2020 will be a groundbreaking year. Amen? 2020 will not just be another year. There is no just another year with God. Because God is full of purpose. And even Jesus said, my father is always at work. And that work is gospel work. And gospel work is to set people free. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has set us free, not only from sin, but he has released us into a life of divine purpose, a divine call in order to influence the world for the glory of God. Is anybody in the house this morning? Do we really believe that? Because in 2020, we need every single person who calls themselves a member of this church to be fully engaged. In 2020, we need every single person that God is calling to himself to serve him in this community to be fully engaged. In 2020, we need a leadership that is fully engaged. We need ministries and ministry leaders to be fully engaged. We need families to be fully engaged. We need all of our young people to be fully engaged because I don't believe that we can go where God wants us to go unless we do it together. Amen? The gospel that we preach is not just a message. It is a message, but it's not just a message. The gospel that we preach is the gospel that we root our very lives in. For us, it is the substance of life. It gives us a new and indestructible life. It's the gospel that creates fruit in our lives in order to display it to the world. And I believe that we must be convinced of that, convicted of that, and committed to that. We must be a people that cling to the gospel, be convinced of it, committed, and live a life of conviction. 
We're launching into 2020 with a mission, and within that mission, we must draw closer to Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, bring glory to Jesus, and impact our community for Jesus. Amen? Today we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. If you can turn on your Bibles or turn to your Bibles or however you do it. Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 23. And it will be on the screen for you to follow. Of the New Living Translation this morning. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of flip-flops. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that, you have aban- that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, The kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered, are written in heaven. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things for those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it 
this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he returned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it, and they longed to hear, but they didn't hear it. An amazing account of God's grace unleashed. We're going to look at five pillars of gospel grace from this text And if you're taking notes, I'll give them to you right now. Number one, we're going to look at the community of grace. Number two, the cost of grace. Number three, the place of grace. Number four, transforming grace. And number five, a victorious grace. Number one, a community of grace. What's fascinating to me about this text is that Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. He is truly God and truly man, the second person in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is all-powerful. All authority is given to Jesus, and he chose to reveal his plan for salvation, not by sending angels to eradicate evil and to restore his creation, not by doing it all by himself, though he has all power and authority. He did not choose the kings and the princes and the Caesars and the emperors of the world in order to implement his plan, and he didn't use military power. He didn't even call the privileged people of society. So who did he call? He called ordinary Overlooked, marginalized, lowly people to himself in order to implement his plan. We know who was with Jesus when he sends out the 72 from Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 8, Luke explains who is traveling with Jesus all the way through to the cross. You have Jesus himself and the 12 disciples who were the famous ones who would later on be called the 12 apostles. And you also have some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women gave their lives And you don't have to know much about history to know 2,000 years ago, women did not uh, have the same rights and, and were looked at with the same amount of worth as a man. But Jesus chose women. Women that had been with Jesus, witnessed Jesus, and had experienced freedom because of Jesus. So Jesus has chosen not only the 12 disciples, but he's also chosen women to be with him. In chapter 9, Jesus sends the 12 disciples on a mission. The 12 disciples. In chapter 10, now Jesus calls 72 other disciples. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. 
They weren't the disciples or the apostles that would later become famous. But we know they consisted of men and women. So these people would have been disqualified by sin. But Jesus provides forgiveness for sin out of his grace. These people would have been unqualified according to society. But Jesus is the qualifier of the unqualified. And we are qualified by the grace of God. And it's nothing that we earn. But it's the sheer gift of God's grace. He loves to call those that are disqualified. God loves to qualify those that are disqualified by society. Jesus didn't just stop at the, the individual. Remember, he's unleashing teams, two by two, 72 other disciples. So he's in the business of calling people to himself. That's the calling of grace to qualify them. And the word says that he appointed them. The word appoint doesn't just mean to choose. Let me explain what the word appoint really means in the original language. The word appoint means when you choose a king, you appoint a king, but you also make it a public declaration for everybody to see and so that everybody knows that you have appointed a king. So it's an appointment to a position so that everybody knows. It also has the sense of taking something low and exalting it on high in order for it to be displayed. God takes the lowly. He takes the low like you and me. Unqualified, disqualified, overlooked, marginalized, oppressed, cast down, no privilege, no status, uneducated. He takes the low and he lifts them up and he appoints them in order for his grace to be displayed into the world. So this is a community of grace. They are called by grace. They didn't earn it. But when you receive God's grace in a community, he expects you to extend the grace of God to one another. So Jesus is teaching these disciples, it's not just about the grace I'm extending to you. I'm going to gather you together and I'm going to send you two by two so that you can learn to operate on the grace of God. Amen? On a typical Sunday, there's about 70 people in this church. And now just imagine if we would decide that we are going to go where Jesus has called us to go. And I'm going to pair up to the person right next to me. And I know that I'm called by grace. So I don't want you to make the excuse that you're unqualified, disqualified, don't have what it takes, don't have the skills. You don't know what I've done because the grace of God is sufficient. And he will not only lift you up, but he will exalt you to display his grace for the glory of his name. That's the community of grace. Number two, the cost of grace. The cost of grace. The calling does not come without a cost. Verse two says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Too few. Very few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the harvest. I was thinking about this for a moment. Why does Jesus say that the workers are few? Before chapter 10, at the end of chapter 9, 
There are people that are expressing a desire to follow Jesus. And Jesus just about shoots them down. One person says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. The Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. That person didn't follow him. The second person said, I'll follow you. But first, I need to bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to launch you out to proclaim the gospel. The third person says, God, I want to follow you, but first I want to say goodbye to my family. Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me puts their hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The workers are few because the cost is high. Everyone wants to sign up. But Jesus doesn't take everyone just because you desire to sign up. Because the calling of grace comes with the great cost. And we know that because it cost Jesus his life. But this is where grace shines the brightest. What is impossible for God, what is impossible for man is possible for God. According to man's power, the workers are few. Because it takes a supernatural work to multiply workers. It takes the grace of God to raise up workers. And he's looking for people who count the cost, who are willing to surrender, to lay down their lives, to say, God, I can't do this alone. He calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. So we have to surrender everything. That's the cost. But it comes with great grace. Remember that today. It comes with great grace. The calling comes with the great cost, but it also comes with great grace. Because when you surrender to God, you say, God, I can't do this on my own power. I need you to do it for me. See, that's grace talk. Because we cannot do it out of our own power, so we need God to do it. And to die to ourselves means that we die to our sinful habits, we, we die to our ego, we, we die to our desire to perform, we die to our desire to control and contain our perfectionism, our criticism, and it sounds impossible, but the grace of God. Some of you have been trying to claw your way out of situations and circumstances and life out of your own power. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be in the quicksand of my own sin. And everyone knows the terror of quicksand. The harder and faster you try to, try to claw your way out, the quicker that you sink. And the quicker the fear and despair creeps in and all hope is lost the only way you can escape quicksand if someone hears your cries for help they walk by and they throw you a rope or they throw you extend a branch or they 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 stretch out their arm for you to grab a hold of some of you are in that place right now but I'm going to tell you right now, let me just testify for a moment what God did in my life. Because when I was drowning in my own quicksand, trying to claw my way out, I realized that the fat, the harder that I tried, the worse it got. 
until I said, I give up, oh God. I know that you demand everything from me, so I'm going to surrender everything. Because I've tried to lead my life my way, and it's led me to this place. You lead my life. You take over. I can't continue to do this on my own. I surrender. And at that moment, the outstretched arm of God's grace took hold of me. In that moment, grace pulled me out of the quicksand. Grace washed me clean, made me new, and launched me into my destiny. So what begins in grace is sustained by grace. So the call does not come without great cost, and the great cost does not come without God's grace unleashed in your life. What we need to do is surrender everything to God. If we are going to go where he wants us to go as a community in 2020, as leaders of your family, as young people, you need to surrender your ways to the Lord and say, God, we need you to take over because this community is being lost to the enemy. But we know that there is power in the name of Jesus and we know the gospel is going to go forth and we know it's not by our own power. We know that it's by your power and the community may go and be going down in quicksand but we know the grace of God is ready to reach out with this outstretched arm to throw us a branch and say I will set you free that's the calling and the cost of grace but the unleashing power of God's grace is in that place where we let go His strength is perfected in our weakness. So we have communities of grace. We have disciples that have counted the cost and are sustained only by God's grace. Now, we must talk about the place of grace. Where does Jesus send these 72 other disciples? Where is Jesus sending us as a church? Now, according to this narrative, this story, Jesus sent them to all kinds of places. He sent them ahead. He sent them to towns. He sent them to places. He sent them into his fields, into the harvest, into homes. He even sent them into the streets. So it sounded like he wanted to prepare people to go anywhere that he wanted them to go. But what I want to focus on is back in verse 1. It says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Let me give you the punchline right now. It's not about the place. It's not about the destination. It's about the person of Jesus because we can't go anywhere that he hasn't already prepared for us because we know when God goes before us, he makes not only his plans, but he makes preparations. So if that doesn't sound like grace to me, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't, that gives me great confidence because we do not go alone. We go where he has already planned to go. He prepares us by his grace. Because God must do to us and then do through us. So first, he prepares you and I by his grace. 
Then he prepares people in the harvest in order to receive the testimony that he has given us. He's prepared us, he's prepared the people, and he's prepared you with a testimony. The highlights of my year is hearing the testimonies when people come up here and get baptized and hear about who they were before Jesus, what happened when they met Jesus, and now how they have been set free. You heard it last week, God's in the business of changing testimonies. He's made all the preparations. He's prepared our hearts, our testimony, our place. None of this can be done out of our own power. Now, 2020, I'm looking forward to it. And I don't know about you, but I've got plans to get my diet ready, get my finances in order, figure out the next steps in my career, see what I can do about getting in shape, you name it. We all know that we have our plans for 2020. But I'm telling you right now, if your plans are going to be worth anything in the kingdom, they must include Jesus. We don't make the calendar and then ask Jesus to bless it. And we don't go where he has not called us or plan for us to go. Because if you're expecting for Jesus to unleash grace in your life, you're going to be waiting a long time if you do it without Jesus. Because with Jesus comes grace, and with grace becomes Jesus, comes Jesus. So it's more about the person than it is about the place. So now we must really ask ourselves, in 2020... Where are you leading your marriage? In 2020, where are you leading your family? My single people, what are your plans? Where are you going in 2020? Are, are you making plans without Jesus? Are you, are you saying, Jesus, you have already prepared things for me to step into? Because I believe we can easily be distracted by our own plans, and we can be caught up in the place, but I'm telling you, it's not about the place, it's about the person. So the place of grace is where Jesus has planned for us to go. Number four, transforming grace. A community of grace faithfully responds to the calling to the cost, goes to the place of grace, and they will experience transforming grace. Verse 16 says, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. We may think that the journey is all about the harvest. But if you read this story carefully, what begins to unfold is that the transformation that is most highlighted in this account is not those that are transformed in the harvest, but it's the workers. God does to us and then, and then does through us. And then does to us and then does through us. It's like a spiral of grace. 
You see, these disciples were launched out with their instructions in teams, in their obedience to Jesus, and they were given authority. And Jesus said, anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. Evidence of God's grace working in our lives is how we handle rejection. Stay with me. This is something that we all struggle with in one way, shape, or form, if we're honest. Handling rejection is a long journey for some. It's not easy. It's no coincidence that Jesus is intentionally exposing these young whippersnapper disciples to rejection right away. Why is he doing that? Because he wants them to learn to operate and be sustained and to know their identity on the grace of God. He wants them to know that he has called them, he has qualified them, he has appointed them, he has sent them, and he is with them. And if your identity is rock solid, then you are not moved by rejection. You understand that your life is protected and backed up by God himself. Now this is remarkable. When you're on the journey of grace, God gives you the most precious gift in the deepest places of our lives. You see, he invites us into relationship with him and he declares over your life that you are a son, you are a daughter, a daughter of the living God. He says, come with me, follow me. The world may respond one way, but I will always respond to you in love and acceptance if you, if you abide in me. God is in your corner. You see, this transformation changes everything if we think about it. When you're already accepted, it wipes away the guilt of the past it wipes away the shame of the present and it wipes away the deep need to be accepted in your future I don't care how tough or independent you think you are nobody can withstand rejection on their own power without serious consequences it's a difference between a, a foolish person building their house on sand and a wise person who builds their house on a rock and when the storms of life come, the, the rejection, the guilt, and the shame, the person that has built their house on the sand, the, their house is completely destroyed. But the person who built their house on the rock, come on, somebody. Grace transforms hearts, and it's, it's like building your house, your identity on the rock. It's like the steel rebar that, that, that runs through concrete. You know what I'm talking about, the, the concrete structures, they, they put steel rebar in it because concrete looks strong and, and we think it's a strong material, but you can't build a large structure on concrete without the rebar. Why? Because concrete, as strong as it looks, it's susceptible to different types of stress and tension. It's strong in certain tensions, but when you add other stressors, it easily crumbles. So grace is like that rebar in the concrete. It's like the rebar in our lives that makes us solid so that when the stressors come, 
so that when rejection comes, we stand and we're not moved and we're sustained and we're immovable and there's maturity and we depend on Jesus and we don't, we say no to the ways of this world and we stand strong on our identity because grace protects us in that place. Grace is the rebar in, our con in the concrete that helps us to build our lives of faith upon the rock and that rock is Jesus Christ. Some of you think your life is built on concrete but when the stress comes things start to crack and before long the whole thing crumbles but I'm going to tell you right now God is in the business of rebuilding foundations by his grace for your life so if there's shame if there's guilt, if there's rejection, if there's this need to fit in and be accepted, if there's this need to do things perfectly, if there's this need to perform, this need to, to look a certain way, to have a certain reputation, God is saying, without me, you're building your house on sand. Build your house on the rock. His grace is enough. His strength is perfected in weakness. The word says where we are weak, he is strong. That's why the apostle Paul can say, therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that God's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in rejection, in difficulties, because when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the language of a man who is transformed by grace, who understands his calling, who is convicted and committed to the gospel and knows that if he's in God's will, if he's on God's journey, if they're rejecting you, they're ultimately rejecting God. He even deflects that rejection that you want to take it personally because you're ready to fight back. You want to take it personally because it'll make you feel good if you're defensive or on the offensive. But God is saying, if they reject you, this is how much I love you and care for you. I am with you in the deepest possible way. If they reject you, it's as if they're rejecting me. And Jesus takes it a step further. He says, not only are they reject, uh, rejecting me, they're rejecting the Father who sent me. That is building your house on a rock. So what do we do when we face rejection? How do we respond? Do our egos get the best of us? Do we move into that offensive or defensive mode? Or are we unmoved because we know ultimately God takes the burden of rejection even upon himself? You see, the greatest barriers to grace unleashed is often ourselves. Will we allow God to transform us by fully trusting and surrendering, and surrendering him? And we remember ultimately that Jesus himself was rejected to the point of the cross. 
Remember that he himself was rejected, so he knows what it's like to be in that place, but he surrendered everything. He didn't fight back. Though he was reviled, the word says, he reviled not, but he trusted in his father so much that he allowed them to nail him to a cross to bury him in the tomb, but we know that that wasn't the end of the story. We know what happened three days later. He was risen and rose again, and God took the lowly, and he set it on high so that his glory would shine for all to see and he wants to do the same thing in your life last but not least we will close with a victorious grace we love to open and close in celebration here at new life humble park so get used to it if it's your first time here when the 72 disciples returned they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. A community of grace who faithfully responds to the cost of grace, goes to the place of grace, is transformed by grace, and will celebrate the victory of grace. The disciples returned. They, they, they experienced grace unleashed. And the word said that Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and that the Father was pleased. He was pleased that his salvation plan was working through ordinary people, through his children. He was pleased that it wasn't the wise or the clever or the strong or the rich, but ordinary people. Pleased to entrust all things to the Son, Jesus. And Jesus was filled with the joy of the Spirit. So the disciples come back full of joy. They were met with their Savior full of joy. The Spirit was full of joy. And the Father was full of joy. So the next time you think that your obedience is being overlooked, the next time you think you're just going through the motions, you may not know it, but with each step of obedience that we take, church, we trample on the enemy. With each step that we take, barefoot, we defang snakes. With each step that we take, we detoxify scorpions. We disempower Satan. This is what happens when God unleashes grace upon his church. The church becomes an unstoppable force that goes forth in the joy and power and victory of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. The Father is already pleased. If you think your obedience is being overlooked, Jesus responded and welcomed the disciples who did what uh, Jesus had called them to do, and and he he welcomes them with overflowing joy, and the Spirit was filled with joy. And that's not all, church. Your shout is coming. 
Jesus said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When I was born, a long time ago, I was given a birth certificate, and it had my name, the place of my birth. It had the names of my mommy and daddy. It had the Cook County seal in that bottom left corner, and it was signed by the county clerk. But when I was born again, I was given a rebirth certificate. It had my name. It had the place of my birth in Christ. It was sealed by the Holy Spirit, and it was signed by my daddy in heaven. Some of you have in your possession a paper birth certificate, but you're missing the rebirth certificate. And without the rebirth certificate, without faith in Jesus, without the seal of the Spirit and the blessing of your Father, of the Father, you're on your own come judgment day. You thought I was going to skip that part, didn't you? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus drew a line in the sand. He said it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to the depths. He said whoever rejects you rejects me, rejects my message, but whoever rejects uh, me rejects him who sent me don't walk away from the call of grace of jesus christ this morning don't walk into 2020 rejecting the message of the gospel because tomorrow is not planned is not promised to anyone what god has planned for his church right here in 2020 on the west side of chicago i firmly believe with my heart of hearts with all the faith that God has graced me with, I firmly believe that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Already the joy of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit is here. Already the workers are being equipped. Already the harvest is being prepared. Already we are accepted. Already our names are written in the book of heaven. Already we can shout in victory. Already we can celebrate because the devil thought he was victorious when he had Jesus on the cross. But he overlooked the women who had traveled with Jesus and they were the last to leave the cross but they were the first at the tomb and when they were at the tomb they got there they expected to see a regular old tomb but what they found was an angel sitting on top of the stone that was rolled away and he said why are you here why are you looking for him here he is not here Peter didn't believe these women. The disciples didn't believe these women. But I believe there is a people that will cling to Jesus even though they feel like the tomb is right around the corner. But God is saying to us, it is time to place your faith in the resurrection power that I'm going to unleash on the west side of Chicago through my sons and daughters and it is pleasing to the Son, to the Father, and to the Holy Spirit to see our lives lifted from the depths, exalted on high so that his grace can be displayed. The glory of the gospel. In 2020, God will unleash grace as never before. And the secret is, he's already unleashed it. 
2,000 years ago. So it's not a matter of him releasing a larger portion of grace. It's a matter of us responding to that grace together and saying we will be a community of grace. We will count the cost and surrender our lives. We will be transformed by the grace of the living God. We will go where he has called us to go and we don't care where you send us because it's not about the place. It's not about the location. It's not about the home. It's not about the destination, but it's about the person of Jesus Christ because he has prepared it already. Nothing will injure you. Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So we can rejoice in the victory and the celebration of grace already. Some of you today need to take that first step. Some of you today have been ducking and diving the call of God for a long time. On the outside looking in and God is calling you to his inner circle. God is calling you to a journey. He wants you to begin with him, to connect with him and with one another. He will oversee your growth. He wants us to engage as never before in 2020 in order to go and make disciples. Young people, women, we cannot do this without you. Jesus could not, did not do his ministry without faithful women leading the charge. My sisters, devoted, last at the cross, first at the tomb. The testimony of the resurrection was given to his daughters. God wants to raise up women who are devoted, prayer warriors, disciple makers, walking in holiness, raising up families in godliness, influencing their communities as never before. Men, serve, serve, serve your wife, serve your children, serve your neighbors, serve your community, because when you do it, you are serving the Lord. Even a cold cup of water in my name, it's as if you've done it to me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we glory and celebrate and rejoice in the grace that was poured out 2,000 years ago when you sent your son to this earth to do the impossible, to give us life out of death, to give us blessing out of curse, to give us hope out of hopelessness. We ask you, God, Lead us in 2020 as we enter a season of prayer and fasting. May, may we be, be immersed in the grace of the gospel. May, may we be, be led and rooted and, and flourishing in the gospel. Will you draw us together? Would you send us out two by two or three by three? Would your people catch a heart of fire to know that there, are, there is a harvest out there and the workers are few. I see only a few people in here, but I see a people of grace. 
and what God wants to do through you, he has done to you. So Lord, we pray that you would lead and guide in 2020. Now we will worship together in closing, but the altar will be open. If you need prayer, we're here. We want to speak over your life. We want to encourage you. If, if, if you have been rejecting the message of Jesus, that's the priority number one this morning. He said the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. And I believe the time is right now. So the altar will be open. The worship team will lead us in a song.